Broadcasting live. It's America's longest-running talk show on computers. It's Computer America, bringing you the biggest names in technology with guest interviews, new products, and your emails. Listen live at ComputerAmerica.com on any device around the world. Email the show at live at ComputerAmerica.com or find us on social media. Be sure to check out our website for contests, giveaways, show notes, live video stream, podcasts, and more. You're listening to Computer America. Hello and welcome into the Computer America Show. We are the nation's longest running, nationally syndicated radio talk show on computers and technology. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Ben Crossman, and I hope all of you are having a wonderful Friday. And uh, yeah, today on the show, we of course have uh, one of our favorite guests, and that is a regular here on the program, and that will be the one, the only, Mr. Ralph Bond. He is our science and tech trends correspondent as we talk about everything that's you know, kind of futuristic kind of, uh, you know, shows really the highlights of technology as opposed to the downsides of technology, which we cover the other 29 days of the month. So today is always fun. It's upbeat and it's going to be good. All right. So uh, a couple of things before we get started here, including computeramerica.com. That's where you'll find the cheat notes for today. So if you want to follow along or if uh, after the show you'd like to check something out in further detail, then yeah, uh, Ralph does a really good job putting together every article, every story that we do, and hey, including links so that you can chase them down if that's what you choose. You know, hey, if you don't want to sit back and just relax. Uh, Also there, you'll find things such as the social media contests as well as reviews and articles. We have a a review up of the Zero Drone, X-I-R-O Drone. We had them on the show a couple of months ago and we finally got the review up of, you know, of, uh, of their mini drone, I believe. And we also have a review of a canless air system. So, you know, those, uh, those uh, chemical kind of cans, you know, the, uh, the can dusters that you're not supposed to shake, but everyone I've ever seen ever shakes them. Uh, yeah, those, it's, it's a replacement system for that. And, uh, you know, hey, just a couple more things to check out while you're there. So there's the social media contest brought to you by Logitech. There's the uh, live video stream, which, of course, you can also find at twitch.tv and so much more. But I digress. Let's go ahead and get started. So uh, as I said before, Ralph Bond, he is no stranger to, uh, to our program. And he comes on the show once a month to talk science and technology trends. And so let's go ahead and bring him on. Ralph, how you doing? Welcome back onto Computer America. Hey, great to be back. And boy, I'll tell you, up here in the Northwest, we finally got our heat wave over and the smoke from all these fires is blowing away. While the East Coast and the central part of our country has been just drenched in rain, we've been in a horrible drought on the West Coast and fires, lots of fires. So I'm happy to report that. And then one more thing I want to say, a special you know, comment for today sure. in light of Senator John McCain's family's announcement that um, he's going to discontinue his medical support systems and stuff. And boy, God bless bless him and I hope the best for for him and his family as they go into this uh what appears to be the final phase of his story but what an amazing american yeah i mean it makes per- it it really does fit the character of john mccain that uh, i agree you know he he gets to choose uh really every aspect of his life and yeah uh, like you said it's uh you know hard hard to read but also you know really really proud of what john mccain has done but and Amen. also and also i'm glad i'm glad that uh, the fires have cleared up you uh, yes. you are no longer the matchstick capital of the world and <laughs> yeah I, it, hey you know uh, i'm really happy to hear that because uh, now we're catching all the smoke and uh, you know i don't feel like chase, changing smoke detector batteries so oh my goodness this, yes terrible. This, is, this is all a good thing and yeah so why don't we go ahead and say ralph welcome back on uh so for everyone out there who maybe, you know, hey, this is the first time catching. I mean, lately we've had a lot of new listeners and we love to hear that. Uh, you know, we just, we just passed a pretty big milestone on a platform that I don't really associate with uh, with uh, podcasts. And, you know, uh, like I said yesterday, we just got approval to be on Spotify. So we'll let you know when that's finally pushed through. Oh, great. But we also hit a milestone on, on SoundCloud. 
which, you know, SoundCloud, great way for new artists to share their new music, but not exactly the number one place to go for like an hour long episode of a podcast. So <laughs> we're happy that uh, people are on SoundCloud are really, you know, liking what we do here. So for anyone new out there, Ralph, would you please tell them a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. I am quote unquote semi retired now after about, geez, close to 35 year career in high tech uh, marketing communications, press relations, and all that stuff. Again, all focused on high tech, starting with mini computers in Orange County in the, in the very early 1980s uh, through Rockwell International Semiconductor Division, which was at the time one of the darlings of American semiconductors when, it, when Intel was coming along, of course, but, but still hadn't become quite the superpower. It, it has become. And we made fax chips uh, for the Japanese. And it was an amazing thing that an American semiconductor company was making parts that were being used by the Japanese at that time. Again, roll the type all the way back to the early 1980s. And then, gosh, I, I went from there, uh, like I said, to Rockwell uh, Semiconductors and went through some PR agency work and so forth, where I got to know a lot of the people in the press. And then I rolled over to, gosh, a nearly 14-year stint with um, Intel Corporation mm -hmm. moved up here to Oregon, outside of the Portland, Oregon area, where uh, Intel to this day still has its largest number of employees and facilities and factories and all that kind of good stuff, and had a wonderful career with them uh, until, unfortunately, I was part of a massive worldwide uh, work reduction in October 2006. Then I rolled over after doing some uh, project work here and there and everywhere, rolled over in the summer of 2007 to Autodesk. And if you're not familiar with Autodesk, you may know the product of AutoCAD, mm -hmm. so computer-aided design, and I worked for 10-plus years with their uh, architecture, engineering, and construction division, F fell in love with the technology as applied to that industry, and uh, then reached the golden age of 65 this past September, and in November of last year, decided to uh, go, quote-unquote, semi-retired. I still would like to do some project work and so forth. So that's a snapshot of, of my background. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, and a very illustrious career in technology and also Thanks. conveying ideas, uh, you know, to the average person that seemed to be your forte at Intel where we first met you. And, of yes. course, um, and, and of course, Autodesk, that was also your job to, yes. you know, hey, really get a point across. So that's why we'd like you in your current position here at Computer America, mm -hmm. being science and tech trends, where, uh, you know, for, you know, we noticed over a while that you really gravitated towards stories that, uh, like we said at the beginning, really show the, you know, uh, some of the benefits that technology is yeah. bringing about. So, right. Uh, why don't we go ahead and tell the folks about the show notes and then, yeah, let's go ahead and get start uh, get started with story number one. Yeah, absolutely. So get your show notes, come out to the uh, Computer America website. You can see the link to get the show notes. The show notes are uh, a Word document with embedded links and pictures and all this good stuff, and it supplements what we're doing. What I do is I go out each month and I look for what I think are interesting stories, the kind of things that are really often sometimes very significant, but maybe don't make the big mainstream press. Uh, and a lot of times science stories don't, right? You might hear about a new Apple uh, iPhone, or you might hear about some issue with Google or whatever. The big, big, big stories right. make it to the mainstream. But these kinds of stories sometimes don't. And I look for those kind of stories. And story number one is a great example. It comes from Business Insider magazine, but the Australian edition. So Business Insider Australia, a story by Simon Thompson. And the headline is Australian scientists may have solved one of the biggest problems holding back hydrogen powered cars right and we know you know hydrogen powered cars this whole idea has been floating around for years right and it's just been an issue of practicality in terms of the fuel and so what they're saying here is this bunch in australia may have come up with something that may be a great solution so i'll read into the story and we'll get dive right into it it says one of the biggest challenges facing the hydrogen fuel industry is this it's transport and storage right may have been solved so one of these biggest problems transport and storage may have been solved by scientists at it's an outfit that's got an acronym c-s-i-r-o so i'll just call it cicero going forward okay mm -hmm. may have been solved by scientists at cicero paving the way for a fuel export industry from australia so remember this is from an australian publication so it's going to have a very australia focus with some of the world's biggest car companies including toyota hyundai and bmw betting on hydrogen 
as a future future fuel source, the Australian National Science Agency has developed membrane technology to refuel cars using ammonia. And hang on, you'll it'll all make sense in a bit here. Two fuel cell vehicles, a Toyota, and I think it's pronounced Mirai, I'm not sure, it's M-I-R-A-I, and Hyundai Nexo have been successfully refueled using ultra-high purity hydrogen produced in Queensland. Now, unlike electric charge cars, hydrogen cell vehicles can be refueled in minutes with a range of up to twice that of electric vehicles running on batteries. So that's why everyone's wanted the hydrogen cars, right? Technological advances are also helping to drive down the production costs of renewable hydrogen to make it cost-competitive with oil-based fuel. Now, Cicero Chief Executive Dr. Larry Marshall says the technology via a modular unit paves the way for bulk hydrogen to be transported in the form of ammonia. Let's repeat that. Bulk hydrogen to be transported in the form of ammonia using existing infrastructure. That's another barrier to electric, right? Then reconverted back to hydrogen at the point of use, plugging the gap in the technology chain to supply fuel cell vehicles. So that's the the Biggs paragraph there. That's the one that's like, wow, okay. And here's a quote from... Uh, from uh, Dr. Larry Marshall. He says, this is a watershed moment for energy, and we look forward to applying Cicero innovation to enable this exciting, renewably sourced fuel and energy storage medium a smoother path to the market, he said. And he goes on, he says, I'm delighted to see a strong collaboration in the application of Cicero know-how to what is a key part of the overall energy mix. So, you know, this is definitely, I think and hope, not just a false alarm, but something that may really break open the world of hydrogen cars. The it's, article goes on to say, yeah, go ahead, Ben. Uh, and uh, and, uh, and it's very interesting that uh, ammonia was able to work itself in there. And I I, I'm, I'm sure that if, uh, if I actually paid attention in chemistry, I would know <laughs> why ammonia would be the best you know, liquid state. Because obviously they're going for a liquid, something stable. Yeah. Um, and yeah. something that they could transport, like uh, you know, like gasoline, you know, like we currently do. It's just yeah. strange, strange, and I wouldn't have thought of it, but I'm glad that they did. So, as well, yeah, saying, it's interesting. Yeah, exactly. So, going on, it says the Cicero design membrane separates ultra high purity hydrogen from ammonia. There's the key while blocking all other gases. That's the significance of this membrane they've created. It solves the problem of the currently complex and relatively expensive movement of bulk hydrogen by using liquid ammonia. Now, I'm not going to pretend to say that I fully understand this from a a, a chemistry or science point of view because I'm not uh, educated in science and engineering and so forth. I'm just a lay person who, because of my years of exposure to high-tech community and technology, just fell in love with it. So I don't have the answer for you here, but that's pretty significant how they can do this, the transportation, the movement of bulk hydrogen by using liquid ammonia. And it goes on to say, UK-based industrial gas multinational BOC has partnered with Cicero on the project, which received $1.7 million, that would be Australian dollars, $1.7 million from the Australian federal government's science and industry endowment fund matched by the science agency. And it goes on to say, following today's demonstration in Brisbane, story was posted on August the 8th, by the way, um, Cicero plans to create several larger-scale demonstrations in Australia and abroad with a view to creating an export industry. The science body is also working on other parts of the hydrogen technology chain, including water electrolysis and hydrogen production. And then it concludes... While hydrogen-powered cars have been a major focus in Hyundai's homeland of South Korea, I didn't know that, that's interesting, Mm -hmm. with a five-year plan to put 16,000 vehicles on the road, the technology is still under trial in Australia, and a lack of infrastructure to refuel has been the key problem. And again, that's the significance of what they're saying here. They believe, the Cicero bunch believes they've solved that, uh, you know, transportation of the fuel problem. And the final sentence here is Toyota is looking to begin importing the Mirai in Australia as soon as 2019, following a three-year trial of five of the hydrogen-powered cars locally since 2016. So 
Yeah, I mean, this is a, a great example of the kind of stories that really catch my my eye because I go, oh, okay, we've all heard about hydrogen as being maybe something for cars, but then there was this problem and that problem, and when I saw this may have solved one of the biggest problems holding back hydrogen-powered cars, I said, I got to read this, I got to share this. <laughs> yeah, and and I really do like the fact that Australia is getting on board, obviously, mm-hmm. um, you know, if they can produce their own hydrogen to even export themselves. I mean, one, one thing I think Australia has going for it is and you wouldn't think about it but the geography uh mm-hmm. I, I i just had to quickly google how many australians live within cities but mm-hmm. about 90 percent of the population mm-hmm. of australia lives in like you know the same coastal uh cities yeah you know, the same exactly. eastern. so i i would assume that any kind of market penetration like if you, if you can get uh hydrogen fuel uh i guess distribution set up in one city you're looking at, you know, a lot of the population suddenly having access to this technology. It's not like America where, you know, if you put it in in New York, that's great, but there's still, you know, 90% right. of the population you still have to contend with. Right, um, right. So I, I really do like that. And I have a, another kind of question for you. Do you recall which other nation is working on hydrogen fuel and when other people are really going to be able to notice it like do you know who 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 had talk of it i'm gonna guess sure okay china nope uh well yeah probably them i i think they make most of the hydrogen fuel cells currently but uh, the ones really trying to put it into effect is japan Mm. and i don't know what it is about hydrogen fuel cell and coastal cities but uh the buses that are going to be ferrying people all over the country with uh, with the with the Olympics coming up, the 2020 yeah. Olympics, uh, all of the buses are going to be run on hydrogen fuel cell. Oh, very so, cool. Okay, and, that and that explains too. That links back to the article because they were talking about Toyota's real keen interest yeah, in this. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's cool. And uh, there's that <laughs> on top of that, and then uh, another key piece, just because you know this is something I, I recall, <laughs> they uh, the buses that they were going to run hydrogen fuel cell off of, they're obviously going to have bigger battery packs. They're going to use them in, you know, in situations of emergency, much like the tsunami that they had with the Fukushima power mm-hmm. plant going down. Uh, in times of emergency, they can use the hydrogen fuel cell buses as mobile generators, and they can actually oh. hook up other, uh, you know, other devices to the bus to then oh, run off. You know, you, so it's kind of like a win-win. Like you couldn't really do that with like yes. a gas bus. So. I, I'm I'm excited because you know we talk all about electric cars all day long. They're yes, still yes. here. They're coming. But hydrogen fuel cell, even though it may not be getting the limelight, it's good to see it's still progressing. Exactly, and that's one of the reasons I just jumped on this story. And as you were speaking, I was thinking about uh, your mentioning of the buses for the Olympics and all that, mm-hmm. and probably where it could be a really practical first place to implement this would be hydrogen fuel. Um, but uh, municipal buses, right? So take right. I don't know Portland, Oregon, where I where I'm nearby Portland, Oregon. They have a, a massive bus system, which in fact they just decided to make it a 24-hour uh, system, which it had not been up until recently. And so munis- municipalities could use this membrane technology, the ammonia and the transfer and all this, and set up their own little thing because all those buses go and refuel at their centralized uh, zone, right? right? And that might be one way to begin getting hydrogen into into really practical day-to-day use if this transportation of the fuel problem is overcome by this new innovative technology from Australia. So, so something to think about. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know, the technology can really seem to be the idea that it's cheaper and more effective <laughs> to mm-hmm. transport the fuel and uh, much more stable. So I guess <laughs> yeah, exactly. getting high, and, and really you wouldn't think that because hydrogen uh, is the most abundant element in the universe. Mm-hmm. And do you think? And isn't the isn't the bit the output the tailpipe output so to speak is just water, right? Uh, yeah, water vapor. It, the, is that right? Yeah, the it, uh, the hydrogen that is expelled combines with uh, the oxygen and obviously H two O. You get water vapor. That is nice. So, <laughs> well, yeah. I'd like more of that to, to end our drought in the West. That works for me. <laughs> well, and you know, th- there's also some talk about that being a bad thing, but I don't mm. think, and, and you know, mm. because water vapor is actually a greenhouse gas. Uh, it it oh, does, okay. yeah. It it you know if there's more water vapor in the atmosphere, it causes more of uh, the sun's you know rays to be trapped. Oh. 
and blah, blah, blah. But I don't think anyone can pretend that, uh, you know, H2O is worse of a pollutant than, say, well, car- yeah. carbon dioxide or something like that, or carbon monoxide. I think I'll take my chances with good old water. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So there's that story. And again, links to everything in the show notes if you'd like to yes. follow up on this. Uh, really looking forward to, you know, personally, I'm really looking forward to the Olympics to see how yeah. effective the buses are going to be. And It would be a great world, world showcase for that. Yeah, And, and, and that's great. Yeah, and then even beyond that, just Japan and their craziness mm-hmm. running mm-hmm. an Olympics. It'll be something to really to, to really <laughs> witness. So, oh, it'll be that. awesome, just awesome. Yeah, and, yeah, and this, this reminds me too. If you look at the clock, we're twenty minutes past the, the hour, <laughs> and so everybody understand this. We I put together ten stories for each show. Ben and I know, and we kind of it's an inside joke. We never get through all the stories. It just never happens. So think of it as kind of a fun uh, homework assignment for you. You can go back and see the ones we didn't talk about, or if you want to revisit the stories we we do, that's the beauty of the what we call the show notes. So please go and get those. Please access them after the show if you like, and uh, go from there. Of course, of course. Yeah, and, you know, no rush, but uh, but we will move on <laughs> to, the, to the next story. And I recall when when, uh, when I first heard this one, we can definitely go over it because I just heard about it in uh, – mm-hmm. I probably read online somewhere, but <laughs> – when you tell people spiders, they go, well, thank goodness there's none near me. And then you come with this story that says, oh, it turns out they have their own airlines. And it's like, that's not good. So they're please. all large. Story number yes. two. This is great. Uh, this comes from it was a Fortune magazine and was posted on Yahoo Finance, a, a story by Renee, I'll pronounce it Rents, R-E-I-N-T-S. And the headline just, of course, grabbed my attention immediately. Spiders can fly through the air for miles using electricity study finds and you go what that's not good (laughs) well i don't know it's you know it's it's bizarre and there's a great little animation video they've got the link in the show which are showing it's really cute and it's fun uh so let's get into this it says a new study published by the scientists at the university of bristol proves that spiders can sense the Earth's electric field and use it to fly through the air? What? The process, known as ballooning, allows the arachnids to use strands of silk to float up to, wait for it, three miles above the Earth's surface and as much as a thousand miles out to sea? Ding! Can you believe it? That's just too freaky weird. I've seen orb spiders, you know, everybody, right in your backyard, whatever, and they, they'll send out a strand of, of uh, web silk and just send it out. I've watched it. Just send it out randomly, hoping it hooks onto some bush or some piece of wood or something, right? And then from there, they kind of do their thing. But mm-hmm. this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about using the electrical magnetic field and, and uh, electric field, rather, and, and flying. Oh, well, and it, Let's go on. This is fun, too. I love this part of the article. Charles Darwin first observed the flight of spiders aboard the HMS Beagle, the ship that he was on, of course, in 1832. While at sea, he noticed the ship was covered in webs and found tiny spiders throughout. Here's a quote in his diary. He says, I caught some of the aeronaut spiders, which must have come at least 60 miles from where they were relative to land, he wrote in his diary. Darwin suspected the aerial excursions could be propelled through electric force. Wow, that wouldn't have been my first thought. But the theory had never been proven. Most scientists assumed spiders simply sail on the wind. But this didn't explain how arachnids traveled so far in light wind conditions. I'll add that word there. Uh, The new study published Thursday, and this was posted on uh, 6th of July, so it's about a month and a half ago. But the new study published Thursday in Current Biology proves that the use of electricity in spiders travel. Erica Morley, you're going to love this, a sensory biophysicist. How would you like that as your title? (laughs) A sensory biophysicist at the University of Bristol led the study that finally closed the centuries-old debate. With captured spiders in an enclosed box – don't you love scientists? I mean, this is just hilarious in a way. 
With captured spiders in an enclosed box, Morley and her team observed how the spiders reacted to certain electric fields. Spiders were placed on a cardboard strip in the center of the box. When the team generated fields similar to what spiders would experience outdoors, they noticed tiny hairs on the spider's legs called trico trichobothria. Perfect. <laughs> Say that five times. Called trichobothria, whatever. Stood on end. So the little hairs on the spider's heads stood on end when they introduced electric field, okay? Mm-hmm. It's a sensation similar to when you rub a balloon and hold it to your own hair, right? We've all done that as yeah, of kids. Course. The electricity lifts your hair, right? This proves spiders can detect electric fields. The electric fields also prompted the spiders to start tiptoeing. Or standing on the ends of their legs with their abdomen in the air. So they weren't doing a yoga pose. <laughs> this all had something to do for, you know, this flight. According to Morley, this behavior is only seen before ballooning. Some spiders actually managed to take off but dropped as soon as the electric field was cut. When spiders tiptoe, lift their abdomen, and release silk, the strands pick up a negative charge. This repels the negative charge from the surface on which the spider stands, providing enough lift for ballooning. Air currents can still play a role in the flight of spiders, but Morley and her team proved that arachnids could fly solely through the – and it says light of electric fields. I don't think that's what they meant to say – solely through electric fields, this phenomenon, right? The phenomenon is possible because – the Earth's upper atmosphere has a positive charge, while the ground has a negative charge. In stormy weather, this electric field can reach thousands of volts per meter above the ground. Wow. In 2013, Peter Gorman, a physicist at the University of Hawaii, published a study providing a theoretical background for the possibility of electricity-propelled ballooning. Morley's study is the first to prove the theory in the laboratory. So quirky, weird, kind of goofy but I just think it's so interesting how something Darwin speculated on in 1832 finally gets confirmed in 2018. You got to love it. That, that <laughs> dude, and, and, and honestly, Charles Darwin, the more I hear of him, he just oh, he, he, he must have been the weirdest person ever. Like people are you know, running around trying to sail a ship, trying to get this guy to this weird remote island. <laughs> and he's, star- you know, he's sitting around staring at spiders going, oh, I, I, I need to write that down. And it, he, he must have been just the weirdest guy. But uh, well, you can just imagine what the, the crusty sailors on that right. ship must have thought of this guy. What's it's, this it's guy? Like, it's like, dude, we're trying to do a job here, and you're and you're and you're drawing pictures of spiders. But and and so of course, uh, but Charles Darwin aside, I, I got to say, this kind of raises the question in my mind: uh, the kind of what they're talking about is the mm-hmm. same. Uh, reaction that causes uh, uh, lightning strikes, of course. You know, uh, you know this. Uh, the negatively charged ions in the, uh, I'm sorry, the positively charged ions in the air lining up with the negative mm-hmm. one in, in the ground come together really quickly, yeah. and everything kind of you know breaks, and you get a lightning strike. How many spiders do you think get you know bug zapped by lightning strikes? Because obviously they're using the same principle to fly. Yes. Well, I also thought the bit about how it enabled them potentially to fly a thousand miles into the sea. And I thought, well, that's kind of disappointing. You make it all the way that far and you drop in the middle of the ocean and you die. Uh, obviously, yeah. I would assume they can do this over land as well. But for some reason, the article used that bit about a thousand miles over the ocean. <laughs> well, you know, a thousand times, yes, you're going to land in the ocean. But really, isn't it kind of motivational that 1% of the time you're going to end up in probably my hair on the other side of the ocean? So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. gross, but uh, but also pretty darn cool. And uh, oh, yes. very that, cool. That was a very interesting uh, different kind of one. So. This next story, we're only going to be able to tease it. We are fast approaching a break, but um, I know that there's uh, some audience members that I know in particular who are listening that uh, have had trouble with their spine in the past. And, you know, spines are a pretty tricky business, you know, when you really get down to it. Who knew that, uh, you know, that that nervous system and those little strands running Uh electricity could be so delicate so Mm -hmm. story number three tease it and then and then we'll come back 
Right. When we come back, we'll talk about new 3D printed device that can help treat spinal cord injuries. So if you have a painful lower back, and I just went through a terrible pinched nerve thing, just uh, just mm-hmm. now finally feeling better today. Listen up for this after the break. Yeah, I'm very, very well said. And yeah, you can even see some pictures there, folks, if you are simply listening to us on the Iron Network. Uh, love you for doing that. And hey, we are a radio show. But this is one show in particular where it really pays to check out the video. So everyone feel free to join us over in the uh, over in the live video feed. So the music in the background means that we're going to take a break. Everyone stay tuned. More Computer America, more Ralph Bond, more Science and Tech Trend Nudes coming right after this. Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer. And again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? Low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airlines travel. It's that easy. So call now and start packing. 800-215-4461. 800-215-4461. That's 800-215-4461. We are all Brother Wolf. Ten years ago, a group of locals banded together to create positive change. We took animals into our homes, held adoption events at local retailers, and talked to the community about our mission to help build a no-kill Asheville. A decade later, we have achieved so many victories for animals in need. There's been so much progress, yet there's still so much to do. As part of our year-long celebration, we encourage you to become a member of our special Compassionate Circle program. With a monthly donation of $10 or more, you will have behind-the-scenes access to the work we are doing at Brother Wolf. Our goal is to reach 1,000 members because we receive no government funding. Working together, we can help build and sustain no-kill communities. Learn more at CompassionateCircle.BWAR.org. We are a 501c3 tax-deductible organization. And welcome back to the Computer America Show. It is 32 minutes past the hour as we continue on here. And yeah, we're talking with uh, with Ralph Bond. He is our science and tech trends correspondent. And we are doing a lot of different news stories. Folks, if you miss any part of today's show so far, feel free to go wherever podcasts are heard. And you can simply listen to today's show in its entirety to, uh, you know, hey, just time shifted so that, you know, hey, we work for your schedule. If you can't check us out live, then we highly recommend you do that. And uh, yeah, you can find us wherever podcasts are heard, including Google Play, Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify here shortly, as well as uh, Blog Talk Radio and Spreaker. So yeah, with that being said, Ralph, thank you for for continuing on with us. And as as you said before the break, we were teasing the story about... Well, yeah. spine, uh, spinal cord injuries, they are common. They are Ugh. incredibly difficult to uh, to solve. But a new 3D printed device, hey, tech show, that's uh, right up our alley. A new 3D printed device could help treat those injuries. So oh, please, go yeah. ahead. This is a great story. And by the way, everything went wrong with human beings when we started to go upright. You know, think of those evolutionary chart things. Mm-hmm. If we had just stayed on all fours... <laughs> I don't think any of this spinal cord you know, stuff would be you a know, problem. You, you should not let evolution tell you what to do. You should not let it dictate <laughs> who you are. And if you are a quadruped, you live you. You do you, man. <laughs> Anywho, and this this story really resonated with me, believe me, because uh, I usually I do the show the second Friday of each month, right, mm-hmm. folks? Well, I didn't uh, this month because we had a big road trip uh, from the Portland, Oregon area where I live down to San Francisco and back for a family-related uh, wedding mm-hmm. that we went to and everything was great. But uh, the, just the last day of the trip, thank goodness it was the last day of the trip, woke up in the motel room uh, that morning 
and I have no idea what happened. I could barely move. I was literally crawling to the bathroom on all fours because my lower back was in excruciating sharp pain. And what, did I pinch a nerve? Did I have a herniated disc? I don't know. Thank God, you know, all this time later, doing yoga exercises and uh, to talk to my doctor and I'm doing – did hot and cold uh, treatment, you know, all this sort of stuff, right? Right. I'm Today, I'm finally feeling pretty normal, but oh my lord, it made me really appreciate you what know, and, a terrible problem this and, is. And, and just real quick, uh, one of our chatters in the chat room wanted me to ask yeah. you, uh, have you ever had kidney stones? No, no, but I understand how horrifyingly well. Well, that they're is kind that. of you know, kind of asking you know, could it be that possibly? So just keep an eye. Oh, on Oh, that's it, Ralph. interesting. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh, so it can, you can have it, it can express the pain as you think it's your back. Yeah, yeah, huh. exactly. Ha! Huh, interesting. So, so keep it in the back of your mind. We're glad that you're Thank feeling you. better. But yeah, uh, tell them thanks yeah. in the chat room. Very smart. Very sure. smart. Anyway. Into the story. This comes from technology.org. It's a staff-written piece. It was posted the 16th of August. And again, the title is New 3D Printed Device Could Help Treat Spinal Cord Industries. And this is a really cool story. Check this out. There's a video you can look at and all that good stuff. Uh, here we go. Engineers and medical researchers at the University of Minnesota have teamed up to create a groundbreaking 3D printed device that could someday help patients with long-term spinal cord injuries regain some function. Now, here's the part that it just gets really interesting. The a 3D printed guide made of silicone serves as a platform for get this specialized cells that are then 3D printed on top of it. So this is sort of a, you know, cells combined with silicone thing. Bear with me. The guide would be surgically implanted into the injured area of the spinal cord where it would serve as a type of bridge between living nerve cells above and below the area of injury. Wow, this is interesting. Isn't that something? The hope is that this would help patients alleviate pain as well as regain some functions like control of muscles, bowel, and bladder. The research is published online in Advanced Functional Materials, a peer-reviewed scientific journal. And here's a quote, uh, quote, this is the first time anyone has been able to directly 3D print neuronal, I had to look up and learn how to pronounce that, neuronal stem cells derived from adult human cells on a 3D printed guide and have the cells differentiate into active nerve cells in the lab, said Michael McAlpine, PhD, co-author of a study at, at University of Minnesota, Benjamin Mayhew, associate professor, professor of mechanical engineering in the university's College of Science and Engineering. I love this, this kind of collaboration of mechanical engineering with the uh, neurology folks and all these experts coming together. I think this is really cool. Here's another quote uh, from a co-author as well. Uh, this is a very exciting first step in developing a treatment to help people with spinal cord injuries, said Ann Parr, medical doctor, PhD, a co-author of the study and University of Minnesota Medical School Assistant Professor in the Department of Neurosurgery and Stem Cell Institute. I would venture to say she's probably a pretty darn smart person. Read a lot of books. My goodness. And she, her quote ends, currently, there aren't any good precise treatments for those with long-term spinal cord injuries. And, well, this and, wonder. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And, and just real quick, I mean, did you watch the video that obviously you, you know, included yes. with the show notes? Yeah, I, you know, and, and you know, and we just watched it twice because it was pretty short, but uh, very, right. very fascinating to see it in action. Uh, mm -hmm. But all I could think of was that looks delicious. Like it looks very uh, candy-like, but yes. obviously that's like the 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 silicon <laughs> uh, uh, scaffolding that they're talking about. It's uh, like as far as three D printers go, it's so uh, so minute compared to obviously you know plastic toys or something like that. Right, it's a very right. fine, fine, fine process. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, yeah, there's a lot to love about this story. Again, the collaboration of multidisciplinary folks coming together and the expertise they're bringing to this and, and using 3D printing at a, at a very minor, or a, pardon me, a miniature level, as you just alluded to. Oh, there's so many things, there's so many pistons of interest that fire all at once on this one. Mm-hmm. It goes on to say, there are currently about 285,000 people in the United States who suffer from spinal cord injuries. Actually, I'm surprised the number's that low, to be honest with you, with about 17,000 new spinal cord injuries nationwide each year. Now, in this new process developed at the University of Minnesota over the last two years, researchers start with any kind of cell from an adult, such as a skin cell or blood cell. Isn't that interesting? Using new bioengineering techniques, the medical researchers are able to reprogram the cells into neuronal stem cells. I am so, so, so happy that we were able to figure that one out pretty early on in the, in the stem cell research process, because mm-hmm. obviously the original way to get stem cells, highly controversial, uh, yes. people lost yes. their, you know, really lost their minds over how, yes. uh, you know, how could we harvest these stem cells? And yes. the fact that we're able to revert them from any kind of cell into a working Isn't stem cell. Isn't that amazing? Hey, Again, opens up a lot. Uh, I rest my case. So many pistons of interest in this one article, right? right? And that being a significant one. goes on to say, the engineers print these cells onto a silicone uh, guide using a unique 3D printing technology in which the same 3D printer is used to print both the guide and the cells. What? The guide keeps the cells alive and allows them to change into neurons. Ding, ding, ding. There's the money shot. The team developed a prototype guide that would be surgically implanted into the damaged part of the spinal cord to help connect living cells on each side of the injury. And there's a beautiful image here in the show notes you can take a look at. I know this is kind of a long article, but I just think it's so important. We, it's worth doing. No, it's good. Here comes another, another quote from Ann Parr, MD and PhD. Um, Everything came together at the right time, Parr said. We were able to use the latest cell bioengineering techniques developed in just the last few years and combine that with cutting-edge 3D printing techniques. Even with the latest technology, developing the prototype guides was not easy. Quote, 3D printing such delicate cells was very difficult, McAlpine said. The hard part is keeping the cells happy and alive. We tested several different recipes in the printing process. The fact that we were able to keep about 75% of the cells alive during the 3D printing process and then have them turn into healthy neurons is pretty amazing. Amen. If the next steps are successful, the payoff for this research could be life-changing for those who suffer from spinal cord injuries. Closing quote here, we found that relaying any signals across the injury could improve functions for the patients, Parr said. There's a perception that people with spinal cord injuries will only be happy if they can walk again. In reality, most want simple things like bladder control or to be able to stop uncontrollable movements of their legs. These simple improvements in function could greatly improve their lives. So they're realistic. There's, you know, baby steps to get to the, the big goal here. But wow, I just thought this was so great. Salute to the University of Minnesota. Hooray. What a great line of research. Yeah. Baby steps to, uh, to well, baby steps. So, and it's, like you said, there, there are a lot of very interesting things. One thing that really stood out to me was the fact that uh, 75% of the cells were able to be kept happy and alive. That may not seem like a lot, but mm-hmm. when you look at the video, uh, you think, mm-hmm. oh, wow, look at that 3D printer go as it, you know, prints uh, like mm-hmm. three or four different layers. And right. like, you can see at the top right, they say this was sped up by 32 times, by 16 times. You know, mm-hmm. keeping cells outside of the body in, you know, kind of happy in, in an environment, like in a two-minute video, not that big a deal. But when it's a four-hour printing process to make one of these little, uh, you know, even example kind of uh, right, sur- you know, surgically implanted uh, things, and what if it's bigger? What if they're uh, printing, you know, a, a different shape? Like, 
these cells have to stay alive for hours upon hours out in mm-hmm. the open air. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. very, very cool. And uh, really, I uh, again, I know a lot of people with uh, with spinal injuries. This mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be for you know that that nice cushioning that uh, you know that really rubs against people and really pinches nerves and things like that. Right. But right. like you said, for people who don't have control over you know certain functions or part of their or, you know or, or oh, even their gosh, legs, yes. hey. This uh, this could really make a huge difference. So I always like it when when spinal uh, technology or spinal treatment come into play because mm-hmm. that's that's like the thing that we all thought was impossible that we're really you know chipping away at. Isn't that something? Yeah, right. it, it, there, again, that story has so many pistons of interest firing all at once. It's like a a V twelve engine of of fascination. <laughs> So, and, you know, and this, uh, and we're actually going to uh, skip the one. So Israel's planning okay. a trip to the moon. That's great. That's a fun uh, story. Yeah. And of course you can check that in the show notes. Now yeah. I wanted to, uh, you know, hopefully within the next 15 minutes, we can get uh, maybe two of these stories sure. and let's go ahead and talk about this. Uh, I believe it's story number six about the AI. We talk about AI so much that I really wanted you right. to kind of touch on this because artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, this idea that machines are fed data and information and they output uh, or they can, you know, automate a process. It and you know, Ralph, uh, just uh, I'll just let you know that uh, you know maybe about uh, maybe over the past couple of weeks or months, I'd say easily two to three out of five guests a week are mm. talking or utilizing artificial intelligence to some extent within their own products uh, yes. you know either behind the scenes or directly they're selling the ai technology itself um it's a big deal so i really wanted you to touch on story number five I, i'm sorry story number oh, five five yeah good yeah yeah, yeah. yeah i'm sorry story number yeah. five and uh yeah what is this about well the, the reason and you, you set it up beautifully because artificial intelligence and related to that machine learning are such intense um but i don't mean to diminish it by calling it buzzwords but such topics of uh, you're hearing so frequently oh, no, it, 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 point, is, right? it is undoubtedly you know, just like the blockchain was a year ago uh right I, I would say it it has you know kind of reached buzzword proportions and right. there's a reason for that because if ai is done poorly and hopefully you know the article is going to mm-hmm. get into this mm-hmm. um AI, you know, AI can be a very flawed technology. So even though everyone yes. is claiming to have it, uh, we still need to learn more about it. So, yeah, exactly. And and so this headline just grabbed me because, of course, we're all we all have AI and machine learning on our minds these days, right? But get this headline: AI is hurting people of color and the poor. Experts want to fix that. I thought, well, I got it. What, what are they talking about? This is interesting. It's from CNN. Tech story by Heather Kelly, and uh, go to the site. You can uh, see a video that's embedded in the article. I, I was not able to get a link, so please use the show notes. Go to the site and see the embedded video. It's quite interesting. But I'll give you the uh, story here. It says new technology brings great promise and as many and as many problems. So great progress, but also problems. Smartphones put access to infinite knowledge in our pockets, but led to the rise of tech addiction. The social media platforms that connected billions of people were turned against democracy, for example, recently, right? And so it is with artificial intelligence, which could fundamentally change the world while contributing to greater racial bias and exclusion. Oh, boy. Okay, let's learn more. Much of the focus on any downsides of artificial intelligence has been on things like crashing self-driving cars and the, res- and the rise of machines that kill. Or, as CNN commentator Van Jones put it in, uh, at a discussion on the topic last week, and the story was posted July 23, what about Terminator, right? You know, self-aware machines that decide humans are stupid and let's get rid of them. <laughs> Goes on to say, but many of the researchers behind this technology say it could pose a greater threat to society by adversely impacting the poor, the disenfranchised, and people of color. And I'm sure you're thinking, well, How? Here's a quote. Every time humanity goes through a new wave of innovation and technological transformation, there are people who are hurt and there are issues as large as geographical or pardon me, geopolitical conflict, said Fei-Fei Li, the director of the Stanford Artificial Intelligence Lab. And he says AI is no exception. Now, these are not issues for the future, but the present. 
AI powers the speech recognition that makes Siri and Alexa work. It underpins useful services like Google Photos and Google Translate. It helps Netflix recommend movies, Pandora suggests songs, and Amazon to push products. And it's the reason self-driving cars can drive themselves, right? And Yeah, and, and one quick correction. Fei-Fei Li uh, is a lady. So, yeah, j- just real quick. So, Fei-Fei Li, uh, the director of the Sanford uh Let's see, Stanford Artificial Intelligence Lab. Uh, she's a she. So just want to be clear if she's listening out there. So. Oh, Ralph, are you there? Uh-oh. Uh, let's see. Nope, I'm here. I'm here. All Sorry, right, but There we go. There we go. No problem. <laughs> talking, about, talking about bias and, and so forth. Holy smokers. I just didn't even – I just came right out and said – just assumed it was a man. No. Terrible Ralph. Now, see, this yeah, is an correction. example of Nothing real artificial intelligence. My wife would say, your intelligence is artificial, Ralph. Oh, oh no, <laughs> no, no, no. No, I won't get that far. But uh, please go ahead and continue. <laughs> So going on, it says one part of AI is machine learning in which a system analyzes massive amounts of data to make decisions and recognize patterns on its own. And that data must be carefully considered so it doesn't reflect or contribute to existing biases. Quote, in AI development, we say garbage in, garbage out. Lee said, of course, that's a very old programmer's uh, term. If our data were starting – if the data we're starting with is biased, our decision coming out of it is biased. Now, bear with me. It's a long article, but it gets into it. We've already seen examples of this. A recent study by Joe Bumlamwini at the MIT Media Lab found facial recognition software has trouble identifying women of color. I wonder why it wouldn't have trouble identifying men of color. Why just women? I thought that was interesting. Um, Tests by the Washington Post found that accents often trip up smart speakers like Alexa. That I can kind of understand. And an investigation by ProPublica revealed that software used to sentence criminals is biased against black Americans. Whoa, okay, this is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Addressing these issues will grow increasingly urgent as things like facial recognition software become more prevalent in law enforcement, border security, and even hiring. Many of those who gathered at last week's discussion – the story was posted July 23 uh, – the discussion was at an event called AI Summit Designing a Future for All – said newly – pardon me – said new industry standards, a code of conduct, greater diversity among the engineers, and computer scientists developing AI and even regulation would go a long way toward minimizing these biases. Technical approaches can help too. The fairness tool developed by Accenture scours data sets to find any biases and correct problematic models. But by the way, I'll stop for a second. This is a difficult challenge, and you'll see as we go through the rest of this article how that sets that stage. Here's a quote. One naive way people were thinking about removing bias in algorithms is to just, oh, I'll don't, I won't include gender in my models. It's fine. I don't include age. I don't include race, said Ruman Chowdhury, who helped develop the tool, but biases aren't created solely by feeding a facial recognition algorithm a diet of white faces. Quote, every social scientist knows that variables are interrelated. Uh, He said, in the U.S., for example, zip zip codes are highly related to income, highly related to race. Uh, Profession is highly related to gender, whether or not that's the world you want to be in. That is the world we are in, he said. Now, diversifying the backgrounds of those creating artificial intelligence and applying it to everything from policing to shopping to banking will go a long way toward addressing the problem, too. This goes beyond diversifying the ranks of engineers and computer scientists building these tools to include the people pondering how they are used. And here's a closing quote. We need technologists who understand history, who understand economics, who are in conversation with philosophers. Wow, that's that's pretty. Hear uh, that, philosophy students? We need you in tech. We need you. There, to... There's a chance for you. There yeah. you go. Said Marina Gorbis, executive director of the Institute for the Future. Quote, we need to have this conversation because our technologists are no longer just developing apps. They're developing political and economic systems. That's a really interesting thing to think about. That this world of technology, AI related, even things like Alexa and Siri and Google Home and all this developing new political and economic systems. Wow, that's interesting. These conversations, she said, are essential to ensuring AI does more good than harm. Food for thought kind of article. It kind of goes a lot of 
covers a lot of territory and a lot of implications and so forth. But I thought it was an interesting tease and a way to kind of think about the impact of AI. Well, yeah. And, and again, I'm glad that you really brought that one up because, uh, as I said on the show, uh, you know, we have seen AI being applied to everything from horse racing to identifying cancer to mm-hmm. uh, figure out the electrical grid. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of different applications you can throw AI at, but mm-hmm. um, not all AI is going to be useful or good or even mm-hmm. or, or even, you know, better than no AI altogether. So right. by you, you know, kind of going over this article, it really showed and, you know, I really need to keep this in mind that just because someone says, oh, we're using AI, that's not a magic wand that says, oh, don't worry, <laughs> a computer is thinking for us. No, that's that's complete hogwash. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it could be doing more harm than good. So uh, <laughs> right very important to keep in mind going forward. Now, last yeah. article, uh, we have like. Four or five minutes left. I think that should be enough time to squeeze in the Girl Scouts because, you know, I I, I don't know, but uh, I think in 2016, last time I went to CES, I actually, uh, you know, uh, the Girl Scouts actually had a booth at CES. And I was like, the Girl Scouts? Like, I'm looking around. There's like Sony, Samsung, and, you know, all these (laughs) other tech companies. And then there's the Girl Scouts. And it's like, no cookies. Like, what are you doing, Girl Scouts? But I digress. They were there to push a point and that hey, the Girl Scouts are more than just cookies. They're actually meant to, uh, you know, show that, uh, you know, provide programs so that uh, girls and young women can really, you know, kind of get some useful skills and some relevant skills. So absolutely, talk about story number six. Yes, yeah, story number six comes from Engadget from one of my favorite writers, John Fingus. Headline, Girl Scouts add badges for cybersecurity and the environment. So cybersecurity and the environment, but it, it's it's... Very interesting. I think the cybersecurity part of it, I think, was what really caught my eye. So this comes from uh, the Girl Scouts uh, press release, so not uh, – or he's based on the Girl Scouts announcement, rather. And it says here, the U.S. Girl Scouts campaign to promote STEM education, science, technology, engineering, mathematics is the acronym, is advancing to its next logical step, even more badges. The organization is introducing, get this, 30 new badges that promise to foster scientific and computer know-how across the scouts' age groups. So don't think this is just for the, say, high school age kids. Mm -mm. Younger members from kindergarten to grade five can earn badges for topics like cybersecurity, particularly online privacy and safety, and space science, while older scouts can learn to design and program robotics as well as prepare for college. And regardless of age, they can earn environmental stewardship stewardship badges that teach them to care for the planet. There's more. The outfit is now rolling out its previously unveiled National Computer Science Program for girls in middle school and above. Likewise, there are two leadership journeys that are encourage that encourage girls to embrace programming and engineering. And a mechanical engineering badge that previously stopped at grade three now covers the net two grades up, increasing the opportunities to learn about crafting basic vehicles and understanding the physics that guide them. And it concludes the goals remain the same as with earlier badges. The Girl Scouts team hopes to not only encourage girls to enter STEM fields, but to prepare them for a modern world full of digital opportunities and threats. It's not guaranteed that they will strive for the badges, but at least an acknowledgement that the focus of the Girl Scouts needs to change with the time. So I just thought it was a cute story, kind of fun. And as you say, I'm thrilled and fascinated to hear that they had a booth at CES. Good for them. That's so cool. Yeah, well, well, they had a booth, and they actually had another uh, representative there with them, and that was uh, NASA. Like, NASA was actually teaming up with the Girl Scouts to uh, try to get, obviously, you know, girls and women more interested in the STEM field. So, you know, they were kind of pairing up together. But uh, that aside, this particular one, you know, and and quite, quite honestly, like uh, with as many employers as I talk to and as often as cybersecurity comes up here on the program, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I'm going to kind of make it as a joke, but I would not be surprised if you went into a workplace that you had mm-hmm. to handle sensitive information that the company really wanted you to make sure that you know how to keep, well, you know, kind of confidential, then I'm not saying you have to put on your resume, but if you put on your resume, uh, you know, uh, cybersecurity basic training from the Girl Scouts, like just the fact that you have any kind of pre, uh, pre-exposure 
to keeping mm-hmm. information or keeping yourself safe in a cyber security kind of you know kind of focus that's gonna be at least something that shows that hey i'm not going to click on a random email link i'm not going to go to a weird web address uh you know that you have at least you know been around the block once or twice yeah yeah no all good points really it's it's fun and i'm just salute to the girl scouts for taking this effort absolutely so with that being said there's the music right on time and like ralph (laughs) predicted at the beginning i think we did about maybe five of the ten stories so plenty of more if you'd like to go back and check that out computeramerica.com right there under the cheat sheets so in the meantime ralph if people want to find out more about you what you do or your past show visits where can they go it's super easy go to your browser and search just using these words ralph Bond, B-O-N-D, so my first and last name, and then Wix, W-I-X, and that'll take you right to the link to my Wix-based webpage and so forth, and you'll see the stories about what I do with the show here and what I'm doing as as part-time work and all that good stuff, so all about me. (laughs) Yeah, and we also have a link to that in the show notes as well. It's the first uh, link that you can click on. It's right there, so super simple. So, Ralph, I want to say I'm glad that you're able to join us this month. I know that you're busy, but hey, that's perfectly fine. And yeah, looking forward to next month as well. So yeah, thanks for coming on. All right. Always, always just wonderful. Thank you. All right. And everyone else out there listening, thank you for joining us here on Computer America. That is this whole week of shows. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun. Glad that you could join us. Be sure to tune in next week for more companies, more interviews, more correspondence, more fun. Everyone, be good, be safe. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye.